Okay, so welcome everyone to our continued study of the Visuddhimagga, starting on page 39 of the English translation, section 117 of the first chapter. Aurora, can you start with 117, please? Yes, I can. It seems that the Venerable One was cultivating seclusion at one time, living in a forest with the elder Mahamogalana. One day, an affliction of colic arose in him, causing him great pain. In the evening, the elder Mahamogalana went to attend upon him. Seeing him lying down, he asked what the reason was. And then he asked, What used to make you better formerly, friend? The elder said, when I was a layman friend, my mother used to mix ghee, honey, sugar, and so on, and give me rice gruel with pure milk. That used to make me better. Then the other said, so be it, friend. If either you or I have married, perhaps tomorrow we shall get some. Thank you. Bond, can you read 118? Yeah, David dwelt on a tree at the end of the walk overheard their conversation, thinking, I will find rice gruel for the Lord tomorrow. <clears throat> he went, meanwhile, to the family who was supporting the elder and entered into the body of the eldest son, causing him discomfort. And he told the assembled relatives the price of the cure. You prepare rice gruel of such a kind tomorrow, with the elder, I will set the story. They said, even with, they said, even without being told you, we regularly supply the elder's needs. And on the following day, they prepared rice for all of the kind needed. Thank you, Dar. Can you read 119? The elder Mahamukalana came in the morning and said, Stay here, friend, uh, till I come back from the alms round. Then he went into the village. Those people met him. They took his bowl, filled it with the uh, stipulated kind of rice gruel, and gave it back to him. The elder made as though it to go, uh, but they said, Eat, venerable sir, we shall give you more. When the elder had eaten, they gave him another bowlful. The elder left, bringing the alms food to the venerable uh, Sariputta. He said, here, friend, Sariputta, eat. When the elder saw it, he thought, the pool is very nice. How was it got? And seeing how it had been obtained, he said, friend, the alms food cannot be used. Instead of thinking he does not eat alms food brought by the likes of me, the other at once took the bowl by the rim and turned it over on one side. As the rice gruel fell on the ground, the elder's affliction vanished. From then on, it did not appear again during five years. So the, the, 
the key here, if you didn't get it, is this uh, angel uh, th basically uh, blackmailed, uh, yeah, blackmailed these people into giving the right kind of uh, gruel or medicine, really, for Sariputta. And, of course, they said they would have done it anyway, but Sariputta was suspicious as to why he got exactly what he needed, and somehow he, it's, I guess the idea is that he would use his magical, uh, psychic abilities to realize what had happened. And upon doing so, he realized that this is improper. They didn't want to set the example of allowing for threats to support to, to be supported by such means, you know, being the direct cause for suffering for people. And so he refused to have it. Now, the power of that refusal um, was enough to to cure the sickness. So it be, it becomes cured not by having the medicine that is needed, but by actually refusing the medicine. This is the idea here. You know, if you believe in this sort of thing, the idea here is the power of morality, power of ethics. Ethical behavior can be very powerful to the mind and to the body. Another neat thing is how how confident Mahamogalana is in his friend. They, these two were best friends before they became monks. And Moggallana doesn't ask, or doesn't doesn't feel um, insulted or anything. As soon as Sariputta does, because of his great trust in his friend, he immediately just pours it out. Am I next? Thank you. Am I next? You are. Then he said to the Venerable Mahamogalana, Friend, even if one's bowels come out and trail on the ground, is that the one I'm Yeah. It is not fitting to eat gruel got by verbal intimation. And he uttered this exclamation, My livelihood might well be blamed if I were to consent to eat the, honeyed, the honey and the gruel obtained by influence of verbal hints. Even, and even if my bowels obtrude and trail outside, and even though my life is to be jeopardized, I will not blot my livelihood. For I will satisfy my heart by shunning all wrong kinds of search. And never will I undertake the search the Buddhas have condemned. Thank you, Aurora. Could you read 122? Yes. And here, too, should be told the story of the elder Mahatisa, the mango eater who lived at Siragumba. So in all respects, a man who has gone forth in faith should purify his livelihood and, seeing clearly, give no thought to any search that is not good.
and his livelihood purification is to be undertaken by means of energy. So virtue dependent on requisites is to be undertaken by means of understanding. For that is accomplished by understanding, because one who possesses understanding is able to see the advantages and the dangers and requisites. So one should abandon greed for requisites and undertake that virtue by using requisites obtained lawfully and properly after reviewing them with understanding in the way aforesaid. Herein reviewings of two kinds, at the time of receiving requisite and at the time of using them, for use pariboka is blameless in one who at the time of receiving robes, etc., review them, reviews them earlier, um, or either as uh, mere elements or as repulsive, and puts them aside for later use. And in one who reviews them, thus at the time of using them. So monks take this fairly seriously. And as I said earlier, we do actually do chanting before we eat. Uh, Mahasi Sayada says something interesting about this because he, he, it's an argument he, he, he talks about monks who claim that if you don't do the chanting before you use the requisites, then you are uh, in debt. Because there's some passage in, I think, the commentaries or maybe even the Tipitika where it says that if you don't, a monk who doesn't reflect upon the use of requisites uh, is using them out of, uh, is using them as a, as a, a debt. It, they're, they're not actually fulfilling their part of the the bargain. They're, they're, the idea is that they're using them in, inappropriately. Uh, so Mahasi Sayada argues against this and says it's kind of ridiculous. The point of the reflection is not chanting. The chanting is the, the words of the Buddha are meant to be an example. And the point is, of course, in the mind. And... Uh, he, he points out this passage particularly and says, you know, it's clear that it doesn't have to be this chanting or that chanting. If you, at the moment when you're practicing vipassana, if you're mindful of the requisites as just being datus, right, uh, as mere elements, so as as experiences rather than entities, uh, or reflecting on how repulsive they are, which is another way that the Buddha talked about. For example, that the robes are are clean and they're actually quite appealing until they touch the body. And once they touch the body, they become atibhyajikuchaniyo. They become incredibly, exceedingly disgusting. And the same goes with bedding, the same goes with food, the same goes with medicines. So reflecting in any one of those ways is is, uh, is adequate. And so up ahead, it's going to talk about use as debt. Here is an explanation to settle the matter. There are four kinds of use. Use as theft, 
Use as a debt. Use as an inheritance. Use as a master. Herein, use by one who is unvirtuous and makes use of requisites, even sitting in the midst of the community, is called use as theft. Use without reviewing by one who is virtuous is use as a debt. Therefore, the robe should be reviewed every time it is used, and the alms food lump by lump. One who cannot do this should review it before the meal, after the meal, and in the first watch, in the middle watch, and in the last watch. If dawn breaks on him without his having reviewed it, he finds himself in the position of one who has used it as a debt. Also, the resting place should be reviewed each, each time it is used. Recourse to mindfulness both in the accepting and in the use of medicine is proper. But while this is so, though there is an offense for one who uses it without mindfulness, after mindfulness acceptance, there is no offense for one who is mindful in using after accepting without mindfulness. Purification is of four kinds. Purification is of four kinds. Robin, you're echoing, I think. Robin, you're echoing, I think. Robin? Yes? You're echoing my voice. Better and better now, I think. Purification is of four kinds. Purification by the teaching, purification by restraint, purification by search, and purification by reviewing. Herein, virtue of the Patimoka restraint is called purification by the teaching. For that is so, so called because it purifies by means of teaching. Virtue of restraint of faculties is called purification by restraint. For that is so called because it purifies by means of the restraint in mental resolution, I shall not do it again. Virtue of livelihood purification is called purification by search. For that is so called because search is purified in one who abandons wrong search and gets requisites lawfully and properly. Virtue dependent on requisites is called purification by reviewing, for that is so called because it purifies by the reviewing of the kinds already described, the kind already described. Hence it was said above, there is no offense for one who is mindful in using after accepting without mindfulness. Use of the requisites by the seven kinds of trainers is called use as an inheritance, for they are the Buddha's sons. Therefore, they make use of the requisites as the heirs of requisites belonging to their father. But how then is it blessed one's requisites or the laity's requisites that are used? Although given by the laity, they actually belong to the blessed one, because it is by blessed one that they are permitted. This is why it should be understood that the Blessed One's requisites are used. The confirmation here is in the Dhammadayada Sutta. Used by those whose cankers are destroyed is called use as a master. 
for they are make use of them as masters because they have escaped the slavery of craving. The Dhammadayada Sutta, uh, by the way, talks about how one should be an, uh, an heir to the Dhamma. Dayada is heir, not, not an heir to, to the requisites. So it points out that the requisites are allowed and they are an inheritance of the Buddha, which is what he's talking about. Uh, but the Sutta itself extols the idea of not being an heir in terms of requisites, not just relying on the, not becoming a Buddhist just to uh, receive the blessings of being a Buddhist, you know, from being, becoming a monk uh, entails quite a bit of support from other people. And the Buddhists said, don't just be content with the, the good material profit and success that comes from being a Buddhist monk, but think about the spiritual inheritance, the spiritual blessings and treasures that the Buddhists passed on. But uh, it does seem to support the idea that material gain is an inheritance of the Buddha. And so he's saying that only applies to people who are already sotapanna or, or, or higher. Thank you. Band, can you read 128? As regards these kinds of use, use as a master and use as an inheritance are allowable for all. Use as a debt is not allowable. Say nothing for use as theft. But this use of what is reviewed by one who is virtuous is the use free from debt because it is the opposite, opposite of use as a debt or is included and use as an inheritance too. For one possessed of virtue is called a trainer too because of possessing this training. As regards these three kinds of use, since use as master is best, when a bhikkhu undertakes virtue dependent on requisites, he should aspire to that and use them after reviewing them in the way described. And this is said, the truly wise disciple who listens to the Dhamma as taught by the Sublime One uh, makes use after reviewing of alms food, of dwelling, and of the resting place, and also the water, for washing dirt off robes. So like a drop of water living on leaves of lotus, a bhikkhu is unsoiled by any of these matters, by alms food, and by dwelling, and by resting place, and also by the water for washing dirt from robes. Since aid, it is untimely uh, procure from another the right amount of reckons, mindful without remitting, in chewing and in eating, in tasting food besides, he treats, he treats it as an ointment applied upon a wound. Uh, so like a child's flesh, in the desert, like greasing for the axle, 
he should eat without delusion, nutriment to keep alive, And in connection with the fulfilling of this virtue on requisites, there should be told the story of the novice Sangahara Kita, the nephew, for he made use of the requisites after reviewing, according as it is said, seeing me eat a dish of rice, quite cold, my preceptor observed, novice, if you are not restrained, be careful not to burn your tongue. On hearing my preceptor's words, I then and there felt urged to act. And sitting in a single session, I reached the goal of our hanship. Since I am now waxed, since I am now waxed out like the full, full and cankers are destroyed, nothing more becoming now. There, and so should any other man aspiring to end suffering make use of all the requisites wisely after virtue or kinds as the virtue of patimoka restraint and so on. Bhante, can you read 131? In the first pentad in the fivefold section, the meaning should be understood in accordance with the virtue of those not fully admitted to the order, and so on. But this is said in the Bodhisambhita. What is virtue consisting in limited purification? That of the training precepts for those not fully admitted to the order, such as virtue consisting in limited purification. What is virtue consisting in unlimited purification? That of the training precepts for those fully admitted to the order, such as virtue consisting in unlimited purification. What is virtue consisting in fulfilled purification? That of magnanimous, ordinary men devoted to profitable things who are perfecting the course that ends in trainership, regardless of the physical body and life, having given up attachment to life, such is virtue of fulfilled purification. What is virtue consisting in purification not adhered to? That of the seven kinds of train, trainer. Such is virtue consisting in purification not adhered to. What is virtue consisting in tranquilized purification? That of the perfect one's disciples with cankers destroyed, of the Pacheka Buddhas, of the perfect ones, accomplished and fully enlightened. Such is virtue consisting in tranquilized purification. Here is the seven kinds of trainer. Uh, that's right. So there are eight, eight types of noble individuals, starting with the sotapanna. Sotapanna is two types. And it's just a technical differentiation. Uh, Sotapanna is of two types, depending on... Uh, the, the first one is that the moment of path uh, path consciousness is, is distinct because it's destroying, in the process of destroying defilements. Uh, the next moment is fruition, where the defilements have already been destroyed. So it's technically understood to be two different people. Uh, same with the Sakadagami and Ananagami. And Arahad, the first type is destroying the, the defilements 
and so in technically is still training but the next moment one has become different and is no longer training the eighth noble person at the moment of fruition after the arahant has already destroyed all the remaining defilements uh, is is no longer considered a seka which is a trainee this word is used quite often both in the Tipitaka and the commentaries to talk about this type of person. So of the eight noble beings, seven of them are trainees, and the eighth is Aseka, which means someone who is not training. Aurora, can you read 132? Yes. Herein, the virtue of us not fully admitted to the order should be understood as virtue consisting in limited purification because, because it is limited by the number of training precepts, that is, five or eight or ten. That of those fully admitted to the order is describable thus. Nine thousand millions and a hundred and eighty millions then as well plus a hundred thousand and thirty-six again to swell. The total restrained disciplines, those rules the enlightened one explains, told under heads for filling out, which the discipline restrained contains. So although limited in number, yet be understood as virtue consisting in unlimited purification, since it is undertaken without reserve, there is no obvious limit such as gain, gain relatives of life. Like the virtue of the elder Mahatisa, the mango eater who lived at Siragumba. Thank you. Ban, can you read 133? For that venerable one, <clears throat> Never abandon the following good man's recollection. Uh, wealth for a sound limb's sake should be renounced. One who guards his life gives up his limbs. And wealth and limbs and life, each one of these, gives up who practices the Dhamma. But he never transgressed a training precept. His life was in the balance. And in this way he reached up with that same virtue of a limited purification as his support while he was being carried on a lay devotee's back according to as it is said nor your mother nor your father nor your relatives and kin have done as much as this for you because you are possessed of virtue so stirred with urgency and wisely comprehending with insight carried on his helper's back he reached the goal of Arahantship. Thank you, Dark. Can you read one thirty four? The magnum the magnanimous ordinary man's virtue which from the time of admission to the order is devoid even to the stain of a wrong 
thought because of the extreme purity, like a gem of purest water, like well-refined gold becomes the proximate cause for our hardship uh, with, with uh, itself, sorry, which is hard, um, which is why it is called consisting of fulfilled purification, like that of the elders of the elders, uh, Sankha, Sankarata, uh, the great, and Sankara, Sankara, the nephew. I'm such a bad reader. Sorry about that. No, you're doing fine. The elders. Sangha Harakita the Great, aged over 60, was lying down, it seems, on his deathbed. The order of the bhikkhus questioned him about attainment of the supramundane state. The elder said, I have no supramundane state. Then the young bhikkhu who was attending on him said, Sir, people have come as much as 12 leagues, thinking that you have reached Nibbana. This it will die as an ordinary man to see the Blessed One, Mateya, I did not try for insight. Let me sit up and give me the chance. And as he went out, the elder reached Arahantship, and he gave a sign by snapping his fingers. The order assembled and said to him, Venerable Sir, you have done a difficult thing in achieving the supramundane state in the hour of death. That was not difficult, friends, but rather I will tell you what is difficult. Friends, I see no his nephew also reached our ship the same way at the age of 50 years. Now if a man has little one learning one and he is careless of his virtue, they censure him on both accounts for lack of virtue and of learning. But if he is of little learning, yet he is careful of his virtue, they praise him for his virtue. So it is as though he too had learning. And if he is of ample learning, yet he is careless of his virtue, they blame him for his virtue. So it is as though he had no learning. But if he is of ample learning, and he is careful of his virtue, they give him praise on both accounts, for virtue as well as for learning. And as well for learning. The Buddha's pupil of much learning who keeps the law with understanding, a jewel of Jambu River gold, who is here fit to censure him? Deities praise him constantly. By Brahma also is he praised. What should be understood as virtue consisting in purification? Yes. Starting again. What should be understood as virtue consisting in purification not adhered to its trainer's virtue because it is not adhered by false view and ordinary man's virtue not adhered to by greed. Like the virtue of the elder Tisa, the landowner's son, Wanting to become established in arhantship and dependence on such virtue, the Venerable One told his enemies, 
I broke the bones of both my legs to give the pledge you asked from me. I'm revolted and ashamed, a death accompanied by greed. And after I had thought of this, and wisely then applied in sight, when the sun rose and shone on me, I had become an arahant. Also, there was a certain senior elder who was very ill and unable to eat with his own hand. He was writhing, smeared with his own urine and excrement. Seeing him, a, young, a certain young vicar said, Oh, what a painful process life is. The senior elder told him, If I were to die now, friend, I should obtain the bliss of heaven. I have no doubt of that. But the bliss obtained by virtue would be like the lay state obtained by disavowing the training. And he added, I shall die together with my virtue. As he lay there, he comprehended the same illness with insight, and he reached Arahantship. Having done so, he pronounced these verses to the order of vicars. I am victim of a sickening disease that racks me with its burden of cruel pain. Its flowers and the dust burnt by the sun, so this my corpse will soon wither it up. Unbeautiful, called beautiful, and clean, well reckoned as if clean, though full of ordure, seeming fair, and that cannot see it clear. So out upon this ailing, rotting body, fetid and filthy, punished with affliction, doting on which this silly generation has lost the way to be reborn in heaven. So I think it. Uh becomes clear how hardcore this text is we're dealing with um well, that's what, so one thing that makes it so difficult is how hardcore how yeah, extreme you might even say esoteric in a sense this text is but you can also see how hardcore are the um the examples it's, it gives you know of not giving up one's values even even at uh, risk of, or even under the influence of, of intense physical suffering and horrible sickness. It is the virtue of the arhans, etc., that should be understood as tranquilized purification, because of tranquilized tranquilization of all disturbance and because of purifiedness. So it is of five kinds as consisting, consisting of limited purification and so on. In the second pentad, the meaning should be understood as the abandoning, etc., of all living things, etc. For this is said in the Patsamita, concerning living thing, the virtue. Abandoning is virtue, abstention is virtue, volition is virtue, non-transitive, of taking what is not given, in the case of sexual misconduct, speech, in the case of malicious speech, of harsh speech, in the case of gossip. In the case of ill will, 
case of wrong view, through renunciation in the case of lust, abandoning as virtue, through non-ill will in the case of ill will, through perception of light in the case of stiffness and torpor, through non-distraction, agitation, through definition of states, uncertainty, through knowledge, ignorance, through gladdening in the case of boredom, through the first jhana in the case of the hindrances, abandoning as virtue, through the second jhana, applied and sustained thought, through the third jhana, happiness, through the fourth jhana, in the case of pleasure and pain, abandoning as virtue, through the aban through the attainment of the base consisting of boundless space in the case of perceptions of matter, perceptions of resistance, and perceptions of variety, abandoning as virtue, through the attainment of the base consisting of boundless consciousness, in the case of the perception of the base consisting of boundless space, through the attainment of the base consisting of nothingness, in the case of the perception of the base consisting of boundless consciousness, the attainment of the base consisting of neither perception nor non-perception in the case of the perception of the base consisting of nothingness. Through the contemplation of impermanence in the case of the perception of permanence abandoning as virtue, through the contemplation of pain in the case of of not-self in the case of the perception of self, through the contemplation of dispassion in the case of the perception of delighting, through the contemplation in the case of greed, through the contemplation of cessation in the case of originating, through the contemplation of relinquishment in the case of grasp, through the contemplation of destruction in the case of perception of compactness, abandoning as virtue, through the contemplation of fall of formations in the case of accumulating, comma, through the contemplation of change in the case of the perception of lastingness, through the of a sign, through the contemplation of the desirelessness in the case of desire, insister, through the contemplation into states that is high in the case of misinterpreting instance due to grasping, higher understanding in the case of misinterpret insistence due to in the case of confusion, through the contemplation of danger in the case of misinterpretance due to reliance on formation, through reflection in the case of non-reflection, through the contemplation of turning away in the case of misinterpreting insistence due to bondage, through the path of stream entry in the case of defilements coefficient with false views, abandoning as a virtue, through the path of once return in the case of Elements, through the path of non-return in the case of residual defilements, through the path of arahantship in the case of all defilement, abandoning issues lead to non-remorse in the mind, to going, to happiness, to tranquility, to development, to cultivation, to, to embellishment, to the requisite for concentration, to the equipment of concentration, to Fulfillment to complete dispassion, to fading away, to secession
Bhante, would you read 141? Yeah, I mean, just to be clear, all of that is talking about um, virtue in terms of attaining one thing by, or when, when you're in the state of another. So, for example, in the case of the jhanas, uh, virtue is is the act of moving from the hindrances to, to not having hindrances. It's kind of a, a fairly expanded view of of what constitutes virtue, but the, it it uh, I think is quite useful. And this this long list here that Robin so kindly read uh, actually is is quite a useful list if you want to come back as a reference point to to look at these things. The different kinds of of attainments that a Buddhist go, uh, is interest should be interested in. So, do we talk about um, renunciation in the case of lust, non-ill will in the case of ill will, perception of light in the case of sloth and torpor, etc., etc. It's not, so it's not all that advanced, but it's neat to have this list to look through all the many different kinds of of attainments, and the idea is that virtue is from going from one to the other. Anyway, one forty one, and here there is no state called abandoning, other than the mere non-arising of the killing of living thing things, etc., as stated. But the abandoning of a given unprofitable state upholds a given profitable state in the sense of providing a foundation for it and concentrates it by preventing wavering. So it is called virtue in the sense of composing, reckoned as upholding and concentrating, as stated earlier. And the point here is that morality is that which leads to concentration. So since all of this is, has to do with concentration, the act of attaining that concentration can be considered, or that which leads to the concentration can be considered as virtue. Aurora, can you read 142? At this point, the answers to the question, what is virtue? In what sense is virtue? In what sense is it virtue? What are its characteristics, function, manifestation, and proximate cause? What are the benefits of virtue? How many kinds of virtue are there? Are complete. However, it was also asked, what is the defiling of it and what is the cleansing of it? Uh, we answered that virtue, torness, etc., is its defiling, and that uh, untornness, etc., is its cleansing. Now the torness, uh, etc., are uh, comprised under the breach that has gained fame, etc., as its cause, and under the seven bonds of sexuality, when a man has take, broken a train, training course at the beginning or at the end in any instance of the seven classes of offenses, 
His virtue is called torn, like a cloth that is cut at the edge. But when he has broken it into, in the middle, it is called rent, like a cloth that this is list. This list describes in terms of abandonment, no, that's a note. Uh, don't, don't read that. That's one of the footnotes. Oh, I'm sorry. Like a cloth that, and then the next page. Is rent in the middle uh, when he has broken it twice or thrice in succession. It is called blotched, like a cow whose body is some such colors as black or red with a, dis with a decrepit color appearing on the black on the belly when he has broken it um, all over at inter interval, it is called muddled, like a cow spe uh, speckled uh, with decrepit colored spots in interval intervals. This is the first place is now is how there comes to be torness with the breach that has gained etc as its cause so the various ways your morality can be in disrepair Going back to 42, what are the benefits of virtue? It's funny, though. That was a question on Stack Exchange recently. So, old question, new question. Yeah, I actually came to this chapter when I answered that question. <laughs> I, came, I always come back. You know, this is the use of studying the Visuddhimagga uh, is immense. You know, the amount of orthodox data, you know, uh, orthodox information you can gain. Now, I use the word orthodox to make it clear that you don't have to agree to all this. This is the orthodoxy. If you if you feel that the Buddha's teaching should be understood differently, that's fine. But it's nice to have sort of a agreed upon uh, explanation, and that's what the Visuddhimagga is. Got a lot of information like this in it. So if you have a question like, "What are the benefits of virtue?" It's very easy to find the answer because it's all in here. Definitely a valuable reading. 144. And likewise with the seven bonds. Here Brahman, some ascetic or believed purity rightly. For he does not enter into act women, yet he agrees to sexual intercourse. Robin, um, and down by women. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting your... Robin, you're not coming for me anyways. Getting Robin's words? I can read that if you want. Was, was, is it true that Robin's sound, am I not the only one who's hearing it as totally garbled? Yeah, I, I'm hearing that as well, yeah. Same here. Same here. So something's up with Robin's uh, 
app, probably. Which app are you using? Are you using Plumble for Android? No, I think it's the one that says, like, um, BLE. I should try using Plumble, because it worked really well for me. Uh, okay, okay, I'll download that one next time. Am, am I still garbled, or is it clear now? Uh, it's fine there, but when you started reading it, there was a lot of weird stuff going on. Maybe try okay. again. No, you're still getting that. You're you're echoing me, and and it's really garbled. Do you want to try downloading it now, and we'll continue without you? Sure. Let's see if you can do that. We'll just continue on. I'll continue. And likewise with the seven bonds of sexuality, for this is said by the Blessed One. Here, Brahman, some ascetic or Brahman claims to lead the life of purity rightly, for he does not enter into actual sexual intercourse with women. Yet he agrees to massage, manipulation, bathing, and rubbing down by women. He enjoys it, desires it, and takes satisfaction in it. This is what is torn, rent, blotched, and mottled in one who leads the life of purity. This man is said to leave a light, lead a life of purity that is unclean. As one who is bound by the bond of sexuality, he will not be released from birth, aging, and death. He will not be released from suffering, I say. Furthermore, oh, that's well, it's all the same sutta anyway. Aurora, keep going. Furthermore, Brahman, while he does not agree to these things, yet he jokes, plays, and amuses himself with women. Well, the point is this guy doesn't uh, actually have sex with women, but it's he's still, this is a sutta that the Buddha talked about. You know, he, he was, I think it was in talking to a Brahman, actually, I can't remember. Where is this? This is in the Anianguta Nikaya. But it's the uh, idea of how you can pretend to be or you can say that you are, you are living uh, celibate, celibate, but it's not really. The Buddha didn't consider it to be celibate just because you weren't having sex. Bye, Tina. Okay, next up, keep going. Who's next? I think Bond is next. Bond's all muted, is that? Oh. Would you like me to go next? Go ahead. Furthermore, Brahman, while he does not agree to these things, uh, yet he gazes and stares at woman's eyes to eye. Furthermore, Brahman, while he does not agree to these things, yet he listens to the sound of women through a wall or through a fence as they laugh or talk or sing or weep. Furthermore, Brahman, while he does not agree to these things, yet he recalls laughs and talks and games that he formerly had with women. Furthermore, Brahman, while he does not agree to these things, Yet he sees a householder or a householder's son possessed, uh, possessed of, endowed with, 
and indulging in the five chords of sense desire. Furthermore, while he does not agree to these things, yet he leads the life of purity, aspiring to some order of deities, thinking through this rite, virtue, or this ritual, vow, or this asceticism, I shall become a great deity or some lesser deity. He enjoys it, desires it, and takes satisfaction in it. This Brahmin is what is torn, rent, blotched, and mottled in one who leads the life of purity. This man will not be released from suffering, I say. This is how tornness, etc., should be understood as included under the breach that has gain, etc., as its cause, and under the seven bonds of sexuality. Untornness, however, is accomplished by the complete non-breaking of the training precepts, by making amends for those broken for which amends should be made, by the absence of the seven bonds of sexuality, and, as well, by the non-arising of such evil things as anger, enmity, contempt, domineering, envy, avarice, deceit, fraud, obduracy, presumption, pride, haughtiness, conceit, vanity, negligence, and by the arising of such qualities as newness of wishes, contentment, and effacement. Virtues not broken for the purpose of gain, etc., and re uh, rectified by making amends after being broken by the faults of negligence, etc., and not damaged by uh, the bonds of sexuality and by such evil things as anger and enmity, are called entirely untorn, unrent, unblocked, and unmodeled. And those same virtues are liberating since they bring about the state of freemen and praised by the wise since it is by the wise that they are praised and un, un, adhered to, uh, to since they are not unadhered to since they are not adhered to by means of craving and views and uh, conducts conducive to concentration uh, since they can oops lost my place, since they conduce to access concentration or to absorption uh, concentration that is why they untornness etc should be understood as cleansing this cleansing comes about in two ways, through seeing the danger of a failure in virtue and through seeing the benefit of perfected virtue. Herein the danger of failure in virtue can be seen in accordance with such suttas as that beginning, because there are these five dangers for the unvirtuous in, fail in the failure of virtue. Furthermore, on account of his unvirtuousness, an unvirtuous person is displeasing to deities and human beings, is uninstructable by his fellows in the life of purity, suffers when unvirtuousness is censured, and is remorseful when the virtuous are praised. Owing to that unvirtuousness, he is ugly as hemp cloth. Contact with him is painful because those who fall with his views 
are brought to long-lasting suffering in the state of loss, worthless because he causes no great fruit to accrue to those who give him gifts. He is as hard to purify as the cesspit many years old. He's like a hog from a pyre, for he's outside both recluseship and the lay state. Through claiming the bhikkhu state, he's no bhikkhu, so he's like a donkey following a herd of cattle, always nervous, like a man who is everyone's enemy, unfit to live with as a dead carcass. He may not have, though he may have the qualities of learning, etc., he's as unfit for homage of his fellows in the life of purity as a charnel ground fire is for that of the Brahmins. He is as incapable of reaching the distinction of attainment as a blind man is of seeing a visible object. He is as careless of the good law as the gutter snipe is of the kingdom. Though he fancies he is happy, yet he suffers because he reaps suffering as told in the discourses on the mass of fire. Now that the Blessed One has shown that when the unvirtuous uh, have their minds captured by pleasure and satisfaction in the indulgence of the five cords of sense desire, in receiving salutations, in being honored, etc., the result of that comma directly uh, visible in all ways is very violent pain. With that comma as its condition, capable of producing a gush of hot blood by causing agony of heart with the mere recollection of it. Here is the text. Bhikkhus, do you see that great mass of fire burning, blazing, and glowing? Yes, venerable sir. What do you think, Bhikkhus, which is better that one gone forth should sit down and lie down embracing that mass of fire burning, blazing and glowing, or that he should sit down and lie down embracing the warrior, noble maiden, or a Brahmin maiden, or a maiden of householder family with soft, delicate hand and feet. It would be better, venerable sir, that he should sit down and lie down embracing a warrior noble maiden. It would be pain, painful for If he sat down and lay down embracing that great mass of fire burning, blazing and glowing. Yeah, he really sets them up for this one. <laughs> and they give <laughs> the wrong answer. So he says, I say to you because I declare to you because that it would be better for one gone forth who is unvirtuous, who is evil-natured, of unclean and suspect habits, secretive of his acts, who is not an ascetic and claims to be one, who does not lead the life of purity and claims to do so, who is rotten within, lecherous, and full of corruption, to sit down or lie down, embracing that great mass of fire burning, blazing, and glowing. Why is that? By doing so because he might come to death or deadly suffering. Yet he would not, on that account, on the breakup of the body after death, appear in, reappear in states of loss, in an unhappy destiny, in perdition, in hell. But if one who is unvirtuous, un, evil-natured, and full of corruption, 
should sit down or lie down embracing a warrior noble maiden, that would be long for his harm and suffering. On the breakup of the body after death, he would reappear in states of loss, in an unhappy destination, in perdition, in hell. Having thus shown by means of the analogy of the mass of fire, the suffering that is bound up with women, and has its condition the indulgence of the five cords of sense desires by the unvirtuous, to the same intent he showed by following similes of the horsehair rope, the sharp spear, the iron sheet, the iron ball, the iron bed, the iron chair, and the iron cauldron, the pain that has its condition, acceptance of homage, homage and reverential salutation, and the use of robes, alms food, bed and chair, and dwelling by unvirtuous bhikkhus. What do you think, bhikkhus? Which is better? That one should have a strong horse hair rope twisted round both legs by a strong man and tightened so that it cut through the outer skin, and having cut through the outer skin, it cut through the inner skin, and having cut through the inner skin, it cut through the flesh, and having cut through the flesh, it cut through the sinews, and having cut through the sinews, it cut through the bones, and having cut through the bones, it remained crushing the bone marrow, or that he should serve to the homage of a great warrior nobles, great Brahmins, great householders. And what do you think, Bhikkhus, which is better? That one should have a strong man wound, one's breast with a sharp spear tempered in oil, or that he should consent to the reverential salutation of great warrior nobles, great Brahmins, great householders. And what do you think, Bhikkhus, which is better? That one should be wrapped by a strong man in a red hot iron sheet burning, blazing and glowing, or that he should use robes given out of faith by great warrior nobles, great Brahmins, great householders. And what do you think, Bhikkhus, which is better? The one's mouth should be praised open by a strong man with red-hot iron tongue burning, blazing and glowing, and that into his mouth should be put a red-hot iron ball burning, blazing and glowing, which burns his lips and burns his mouth and tongue and throat and belly and passes out below, carrying with it his bowels and entrails should use alms given out faith by great warrior nobles and what do you think because which is better the watch should have a strong man seize him by the head or seize him by the shoulder or seat him and lay him on a red hot iron bed or iron chair burning blazing and glowing or that he could use a bed or chair given out of faith by the great warrior nobles and what do you think because which is better the one should have a strong man take him feet up and head up down and plunge him into a red-hot metal cauldron burning, blazing and glowing, to be boiled there in a swirl of froth. And as he boils in the swirl of froth to be swept now up, now down, and now across, he should use a dwell given out of faith by great warrior nobles. Remember, the point here is talking about monks who are unvirtuous. It's not that any of this is using any of these things are wrong, but an unvirtuous monk to pretend they're virtuous and thereby get praise and gain and so on. The Buddha says better that he 
it would be less harmful if you were to be if you were to be tortured in all these ways with spears and things like that <laughs> <laughs> and all sorts of these things what pleasures has a man broken virtue not sense pleasures which bear fruit of pain more violent even than the pain in the embracing of a mass of fire what pleasure has he in accepting homage who having failed in virtue must partake of pain that will exile exile in agony the crushing of his legs with horsehair ropes. What pleasure has a man void of virtue, accepting salutation of the faithful, which is the cause of pain uncuttered, utter, acuter still uh, than pain produced by stabbing with a spear? What is the pleasure in the use of garments for one without restraint thereby in hell. He would for long be forced to undergo the contact of the blazing iron sheet. Although to him his alms food may seem tasty, who has no virtue to is a direst poison, because of which he surely will be made for long to swallow burning iron balls. And when the, vir the virtuous make use of couches and chairs, though reckoned pleasing, it is, it, it is pain. Because which he surely will, will, make, will be made for long to swallow burning iron balls. And when the virtualist makes use of couches and chairs, oh, I'm sorry, I went over that. Because they will be tortured long indeed for red-hot blazing iron beds and chairs. Then what delight is there for one unvirtuous inhabiting given in faith? Since for that reason he will have to dwell, shut up, <laughs> So sorry. Shut up inside the. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Inside a blazing iron pan. Shut up here isn't an injunction. It means shut inside. The teacher of the world, in him condemning, described him in these terms of suspect habits. Full of corruption, uh, lecturous as well by nature, evil rotten too within. So out upon the life of him abiding, without restraint of him that wears the guise of the ascetic that he will not be, and damages and undermine himself. What is the life and he leads since any person, no matter who, with virtue to his credit, avoid, avoided here as those that would look well 
keep far away from dung and from the and from a corpse he is not free from any sort of terror through free enough from pleasure of attainment while heaven's door is blotted bolted fast against him he is well set upon the road to, to hell who else does not one dissolute of virtue more fit to be the object of com compassion many indeed and gave and grave are the defects defects that brand a man neglectful of his virtue seeing damage in the failure of virtue should be understood as reviewing in such ways as these and seeing benefits in perfected perfected virtue should be understood in the opposite sense I'm sorry that I laughed I but the way I was reading it, it I'm sorry about that no problem Robin are you with us Robin? Uh, don't worry. Am I still garbled? Yeah. Yeah, a, l a little bit, yeah. Yes, can you hear me? can hear you, but... Um, yes. It cuts in and out. It's... Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead and try 159 and we'll let you know. Okay, it, it can just skip over me. Yeah, maybe we have to. It's still garbled. Furthermore, his virtue is immaculate. His wearing of the Furthermore, bowl. Furthermore, you're you're delayed as well. It must be maybe it's an internet connection thing. Shouldn't be delayed like that. understand furthermore his virtue is immaculate his wearing of the bowl and robes gives pleasure and inspires trust his going forth will bear its fruit a bhikkhu in his virtue pure has never fear that self-reproach will enter in his heart indeed there is no darkness in the sun a bhikkhu in his virtue bright shines forth in the ascetic's wood as by the brightness of his beams the moon lights up the firmament. Now if the bodily perfume of virtuous bhikkhus can succeed in pleasing even deities, what of the perfume of his virtue? It is more perfect far than all the other perfumes in the world, because the perfume virtue gives is born unchecked in all directions. The deeds done for a virtuous man, though they be few, will bear much fruit. And so the virtuous man becomes a vessel of honor and renown. 
There are no cankers here and now to plague the virtuous man at all. The virtuous man digs out the root of suffering in lives to come. Perfection among humankind and even among deities. If wished for is not hard to gain for him whose virtue is perfected. But once his virtue is perfected, his mind then seeks no other kind than the perfection of Nibbana, the state where utter peace prevails. Such is the blessed fruit of virtue, showing full many a varied form. So let a wise man know it well, this root of all perfection's branches. The mind of one who understands thus shudders at failure and virtue and reaches out towards the perfecting of virtue. So virtue should be cleansed with all care, seeing the danger of failure and virtue and this benefit of the perfection of virtue in the way stated. And at this point in the path of purification, which is shown under the headings of virtue, concentration, and understanding by the stanza, when a wise man established well in virtue, virtue firstly has been fully illustrated. In first chapter called the description of virtue, in was I supposed to read that? In the path of first chapter. Okay, the first chapter called the description of, of virtue in the path of purifica purification composed for the purpose of gladdening good people. There we go, we've completed one chapter out of 20-some. And don't worry, don't worry, they're not all as short as this one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I must apologize a little bit because I... I have dyslexia, sometimes words coming in, I have to really concentrate. So. Oh, you did well, that's good. Mm -hmm. did good. Thank you. <laughs> Should I just let those without dyslexia read, since we're recording, that way it comes through better without me having to mess it up? No, you weren't really messing it up. A couple of words, but you know, we all do that. Okay. But uh, yeah, is, how's it going? We have a small group. I don't suppose we're going to get much bigger than this. But... I wonder what happened to Bond. Yeah, he's muted. Maybe something came up. Anyway, thanks everyone for for coming out, and hope to see you all next week. Thank you, Bonte. Thank you. Have a good week. You too. Thank you, everyone.